Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome. This is a Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. And guess who I have with me right here? <laughs> the one and only, the Honorable, the Honorable. Brandon Turner is All here right. in the house. Really in honored to have you on my show. I've looked up to you guys at Bigger Pockets for a long, long time. You just are beasts oh, in the man. industry. And you guys have done so much to help the industry, to legitimize it, to you know, help people who want to get started in the business and maybe don't have a ton of resources or, and don't, don't want to get trapped in the guru hype. And they're just looking for networking, for connections, for education. And you guys have rocked the world. I mean, I think it's awesome what you guys have done. Congratulations. And yeah, those of you that don't know, there's this, there's this little known podcast. Not too many people know about it called Bigger Pockets. <laughs> a little one. <laughs> try. I, I, I meant to, I'll ask you offline what your numbers are, but like, I think we just hit a hundred million downloads, something like that. So it's okay. okay. To put this in perspective. I'm at five and a half, maybe six million downloads. All right, there you All go. Right. That's not bad though. That's not bad. I tell we you are. though, I think I've been doing my podcast longer than you guys though. I've been doing it since 2011. Yeah, that's longer than us. I think we were 2012. <laughs> yes. A long time. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy, hey, man. Well, so yeah, I got a lot of cool things awesome. I want to ask Brandon about. And um, sure. we're going to be talking about what he's doing today. I want to talk about one of his bad deals. Like it's a funny story that he's told before on YouTube. It's really good. I want to ask him some questions about open door capital because this is a great fund that's doing some pretty cool things. And you can join him if you want, but also look to see what he's doing and maybe do it yourself. Right. Yeah. And hopefully our connection is good, Brandon. I might, you still see me all right? I do. I do. Uh, I've had some, I, I'm in Hawaii, right? So I get okay. like the random, like your internet's unstable. I'm like, I can't help it. So if it, if it, you know, gets fuzzy. We're good. The audio is still good. Good. All right. So listen, Brandon has written some really good books. I just want to bring this up to you guys so you can go get them. If you have not, my favorite book that he's written is the book on real estate investing with little to no money down. All right. This is a really good book without the hype of no money down strategies, but he talks a lot about how to get into real estate if you don't have a ton of money. And it, by the way, it's no and low. So you do need to spend some money yeah, to get deals, does. right? It does usually um, take money, yeah. Yeah, I know a guy that got in big trouble for writing a book called How to Buy a House for a Dollar. Oh, really? Yeah, in Australia. And he got in big trouble with the local government authorities there. So you can yeah. kind of technically maybe buy a house for a dollar, but there's a lot more that goes into that, right? So there's great a book. Do it. Well, Get thanks. this at Bigger Pockets. The book on managing rental properties. Mm, the one I wrote with my wife. Yeah. Yes. And I think this might be one of the big reasons why you went into mobile home parks. Yes. Yeah. We yes. figured that was one of our uh, unique abilities. So why not pursue the so, difficult world of managing mobile home parks? Which is yes. So that was a book on managing rental properties, which by the way, I was uh, having a conversation the other day with a guy that we both know, and he sells a lot of turnkey deals. And he was, it was something interesting that he was saying, he's had a lot of problems with selling properties to other people as turnkeys with finding good property management companies, right? Yeah. And that's a common problem. But what he has discovered, and he's starting to train his people now, is how to self-manage your properties. Yep. And if anything, it doesn't mean you have to be the one doing it, but you, maybe you hire an assistant, Yep. right? And so what I'd strongly suggest doing, hire an assistant and give them this book. 
here, follow this system. Yeah. yeah. That was that was pretty much literally just our like our company manual. And we just kind of turned it into a book. I mean, it was just like uh, we sat down, we're like, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do that? And it became a book. Yeah, that's the thing, you know. So there, you, there are good property managers out there. <clears throat> sometimes when you scale and get big, it's hard to find, and sometimes it becomes a full time job just managing the manager. When and this is what I've always done: I've hired an assistant, and I had my assistant manage my properties for me and just that's give them great. that book. Right? Like, I wonder if you could hire a VA, like a full time virtual assistant from like the Philippines for like I don't know, five hundred bucks a month, eight hundred. I wonder if you could do that and have them run your rental business. They could probably handle a dozen rentals. I don't see. I don't see why not. Why they could handle more than that? Probably more than that. Yeah, they're full time, forty hours. They can handle quite a bit, and ninety nine percent of the work can be done without having to be anywhere. And exactly right, do something. You can hire somebody. Yeah, it's interesting. It'd be a cool uh, experiment to run. Is how much you know? Dollar VA do. Yeah, it's I've done it for years, not using VAs to manage my rental properties. Yeah. I've always used a local assistant. But I mean, with with the websites, internet today, like with Cozy, like yeah. how much you can do so much with sites like that, right? Zillow Rental Property Manager. Yeah, um, there's so much that can be done, especially if you have a good online tool. All right, two more books, Brandon. The the book on rental property investing. I'm sure you talk a lot about the Burr strategy on here. I do mention it in there a bit. Yeah, and if I hear that word one more time, I'm gonna. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. It's a, it's funny. That came from a blog post I wrote a long time ago. And then like somehow like people just think it's funny to say. And so like there's something in there about marketing. And when you market with a funny phrase, people just love to say it. Yeah, it's, it's, it'll it'll catch. Yeah. It'll catch. All right. One more. And this is kind of the basic fundamental foundational book that you all need to check out if you haven't already. Uh, How to Invest in Real Estate, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Getting Started. This is a great book to get started. You know, I got to ask you first thing, Brandon, how did you write these books? You know, did you cheat like I do when I write my books? Or or you do videos or podcasts and you turn them and you transcribe them and, you know, hire somebody to help you write them and all that? Or No, no, I I wrote those. I'm not opposed to doing it your way. I may in the future because I have a lot more book ideas I would love to write in limited time now with the young kids. But no, I think everything I've written, I'll tell you, actually, it's it's an interesting thing. So when I got started writing the first one, so I started with the book on rental property investing, the blue one. However, I got the chapter two and it was on creative finance. And it ended up being like 40,000 words. I was like, all right, this needs to be a book. So I shelved that one for a while. And then worked on the No and Low Money Down book instead. But that process took about a year to write that. It took me a long time and I pick it up once in a while. Then I went back and I started from page one of the book on like this the year or two later. And that took me a year. So for the No and Low Money Down, it took a year. When I wrote the blue one, the rent to Prime investing, I said, you know what? I'm going to do this in 100 days. So there's this old quote, right? Like Abe Lincoln, I think said it, it might not have been him. That if I had six hours to chop down a tree, I'd spend four sharpening my axe, mm-hmm. right? So I was like, all right, so I'm going to, what, what's sharpening the axe when writing a book? And this applies to all things, real estate or whatever, but like, what's the, what is the sharpening the axe thing? And so for the book, it was, I need to outline it really well. So what I did is I sat at Starbucks, my wife and I did it together. We sat at Starbucks with a stack of index cards, a little three by five index cards. And we wrote every single chapter name out and laid them all out. And then every sub chapter we wrote, you know, what the sub chapter would be. And then we flipped over every single card and wrote a brief summary of what that little section would be. So at the end of the day, we had 10 chapters, 10 sub chapters, 100 cards. Now it expanded a little bit in the process and you move things around, but we basically had 100 index cards. So then I said, okay, 100 days, one card per day for 100 days. And that's what we did. We ended up, I ended up writing more than that because some days I'd get ambitious and write two or three cards. And we ended up writing both books, the book on rental property property investing and managing in 100 days total combined. So, and it was the easiest book I've ever written. It was so simple because it was just every day, pick up a card. That's what I'm writing on. So 
Yeah. Good for you. And then how long would you take you to do one of those chapters on, in one day? About an hour to hour and a half. I write about a thousand words an hour, probably when I'm writing on average. So if it's oh. real estate related, if it's not real, because real estate's, you know, like it's yeah. how to stuff. It's pretty quick to do. If I was like writing a book on the psychology of persistence, like I, that would take much, much longer that I have to like research. And there's very little research that has to go into real estate books. It's more of like, this is just what I do. So yeah. I did write a book called Wholesaling Lease Options and it's just a little book, but I spent so much thinking time on that thing, like six months and I wrote it all out and I got it back from the book printer because I wanted a real physical book and it was only yeah. a quarter of an inch thick. I was so discouraged. Like you work so hard and That's this funny. book is so small. I got, but, a, uh, I got a book on multifamily coming out next year and it's draft the draft is done it's 140,000 words which will be about 600 pages if oh we don't edit it down i'm sure the editors will take out quite a bit and then Brian Murray who's my partner he wrote we were a two volume set so his is volume 2 and his is 140,000 words so we're going to have about an encyclopedia of multifamily coming out next year that'll You're be competing a, with Joe Fairless huh? that i got that he was my inspiration of <laughs> i mean his book on syndication is like the book like it is the book i've uh, heard that from so many people it's sitting right it over is, there yeah it's phenomenal i took a different approach we i went my volume is on small multi so like it's not the syndication route. Brian, his is on the larger stuff. So his is more competing with Joe Fairless, but okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So good for you, man. Congratulations on doing books like that. And they're really, really good books. Um, we're already getting people here saying uh, Brandon Turner, legit, super humble guy, best podcast out there with David Green. I'm yep. the most humble guy in the entire world. You've never met anybody as humble as me. I'm... <laughs> well, you know who wrote that in the Bible? You know who wrote Moses is the, was the most humble man on all the earth. You know who wrote that? <laughs> Moses wrote. Did he really write that? Yeah. Like, is that in there? That's yeah. hilarious. That's funny. Cool. So like, guys, listen, we, we're live right now as we're recording this on Facebook and the YouTubes. So if you want to say hello, then type something in the comments. Give me a thumbs up. Like the video. And that would really appreciate it. Scott is in the house from YouTube. Cheryl is here. What's uh, up, Cheryl? From uh, Facebook. And we're even going to be broadcasting. We're broadcasting this also on Periscope. So believe it or not, there are people here in Periscope. Somebody, I don't know who this is. Brandon's my hero. Well, Facebook uh, user is my hero. I wanted. I saw one of the videos you did a few weeks ago. I don't know how old the video was. You were talking about your first, the deal that made you decide to start outsourcing your property management, right? Yeah. This is a funny story. Would you mind sharing it again here? Somebody, yeah, they asked me the question. I recorded it and I played it on my Instagram, I think it was. And they asked the question, tell us about your worst deal ever and then your best deal or you know worst deal ever and your best deal ever. And so I tell this story and I'll tell it real quick now is I had four buddies. Well, I had a buddy who had three brothers slash friends in one of my apartments. I had a 24 unit apartment and they rented one of the units there. And I was managing myself and trying to do everything myself for the most part. I mean, I had my mother-in-law who I we still have to today now. She answers phone calls and deals with most of the, the repairs and maintenance. She's kind of my assistant basically when it comes to managing. But at the time, like my buddy was there as my friend, right? So he didn't call my mother-in-law. Like he didn't call the office number. He called me or texted me and said, hey, my toilet is not running very well. It's not flushing very well. I said, okay. And of course, when it's not in your system, when you go outside the system, it just, I forgot about it and didn't think about it. A couple weeks later, he texted me back and he said, hey man, my toilet's getting really bad. In fact, it's, it's, it's full. And, I, and I'm like, it's, it's full. And so I go over there and sure enough, they, when it stopped flushing two weeks earlier, they just kept using it, just continued to use it every, every day while all four of them got the flu during those two weeks. So it was, it was everything you can imagine in that in that toilet. And these are 21-year-old guys. So they didn't think anything like they should like call again for two weeks. So I'm like, well, I am not spending $200 on a plumber. That would be a stupid use of my money. 
So instead, I'm going to uh, fix it myself. So I get a big snake and I try to snake it and I get a plunger and I try to plunge it. None of it works. And finally, I'm like, the only way I can get this thing is I got to unbolt it from the floor. So I unbolt it from the floor and I carry it across the floor. Like I'm carrying, you know, straddling it, carrying it. And And it's still got stuff in it. It's still got stuff in it. It's full. And then I tip it over into the bathtub. Of course, it sloshes everywhere all over me and the floor and the bathtub. And I dump it upside down into the bathtub. Then I see in the bottom of the toilet, I see it was like a contact lens solution bottle or something like that. And then I get sick for the next two weeks with the flu. Shocking me. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is the best real estate deal I ever did. And the reason why it's not the worst, even though it might be the worst story, the reason I put that as the best, because that's the deal. Yeah. Again, that taught me like the biggest lesson there is for me, which was like learn to outsource. Mm -hmm. Like there is $10 an hour jobs, there are $50 an hour jobs, there are $100 an hour jobs, and there are $1,000 an hour jobs. And I was doing a $50 an hour job when I should have been focusing on a $1,000 an hour job, which would be signing deals, negotiating, putting together stuff, hanging with my family. That was traumatic. What a, a great lesson learned. And, you know, like I've said before, I was doing, I'm doing this podcast series called Deals, called Deals Gone Bad. That was a Everybody's been talking about their bad deal. It kind of gets depressing a little bit. But, you know, isn't it true? Like, why smart people, I say this, uh, smart people learn from their mistakes. Wise people learn from the mistakes of others. Yeah. And you know, this is why I love this platform, doing podcasts and things like this, is because we can talk to people, hear their stories, figure out what's working, what's not, what can, and so that people can listen to that and say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that ever. Or that's a great idea. I will do that. And that's so key. You know, folks. Focusing on your $500, $1,000 activities yeah, and so outsourcing everything else. That was a fun one. I sold that property later and don't have it anymore. Now I don't do any of my own managing. I mean, I'm completely out of it, but that was a lesson. All right. So um, you're at Bigger Pockets. Everybody here knows that. We're getting tons of people here. You know, Brian Givens, both of you guys rock. Hey, what's up, um, Brian? Ba- Bochi. I got my first two deals because of Brandon. Hey, that's awesome. Look at I don't get any of these comments. I started investing real estate because of Brandon. Yes, I have his books. I can listen to him all year long. Thank Thank you. Stay humble, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, we got a lot of uh, good feedback comments here. Steve, love the content. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. All right, so... Uh, Brandon, when did you, you're in Hawaii now. Why did you, when did you move to Hawaii and why? Yeah, I got here like a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, maybe it was. We moved here because we lived in Washington where it rained all the time, like 24-7. And I I was like, why, why live where I didn't like living and it rained and it was miserable and all that. So I packed up my family. We went and spent a month in Hawaii and it was amazing. And I was like, I could live here. And then a year later, it took a while to actually, you know, work up the courage to actually move. But a year yes. later, I moved, uh, went and spent three months and I was like, oh, it was amazing. I want to spend more time. And we couldn't find a place, couldn't find a neighborhood, couldn't find anything. And so we decided, okay, fine, we're going to move somewhere else. We'll go to Nashville because I like Nashville. And then that weekend, we decided to take a little, like we were on Oahu, like Honolulu area. And then we took a little side trip over to Maui, you know, the Lover's Island. And uh, within an hour, we had found a house in the right neighborhood that had a view and it had a pool and it had a multi- three units so I could house hack it, which I'm doing. And I mean, everything, it was, just, it was perfect. And I was like, hey, we found it. So we put an offer, got accepted, got somehow miraculously got a loan approved for a multi-million dollar purchase and we moved in. So it's been uh, it's been amazing, amazing. amazing. What, what are some of the challenges with living in paradise like that? You know, there's, <laughs> it can't be all roses and all of that, is it? You get a little bit tired of like the, you know, like, I mean, I go to the beach and the sunshine and there's like <laughs> whales jumping. I mean, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> Come on, it's all right, not, all right. what else? Yeah, no, it's, it's not bad. You do miss the seasons a little bit. I do miss the seasons. I like, I see people right now posting like the snow and all that. And I'm like, oh, and now I wouldn't miss it if I could travel to go do it. But because travel is so hard right now, 
it's like, you know, that's kind of a bummer. So, so that's probably the biggest thing is missing the seasons. Did it how, did it affect your real estate investing at all? Or were you... In a good way. It forced me to to finish systematizing and get out of my business in, in Washington. Uh, this is actually, I'm a big fan of long distance real estate investing. You know, my buddy yeah. David wrote the book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing. But I'm a big fan of it because it forces you to be good at business, not good at real estate. Exactly. You know, there's a difference there, right? And so by investing at a distance, you are forced to be good at business. Mm -hmm. And so I got a lot better at that. I also, being out here led to a couple of cool things. One, when you're somewhere where people like to travel a lot, they, I mean, I mean, I just, this morning I got hit by a guy. I, I know he's like, Hey, I'm on Maui right now. Vacation. You want to get some coffee later? Yeah, that sounds cool. I mean, I don't take everyone up on it. Cause like it would be coffee every day, but like I try to get out at least once a week to go out to coffee with someone and go, go to a bar or a restaurant, whatever, just go hang out with people. Nice. And so you adapt, you, you, I mean, you, you, you learn from their knowledge. Uh, you get, you kind of like, what do they call that? Whatever, like smush with people and you get their knowledge and, and their wisdom. And that's been amazing. I mean, the fact that like Brian Murray came out here, who is my partner now, he came out here um, to Maui for just like a little mastermind retreat we did. And we started talking and he's like, well, I'm going to go buy a bunch of big multifamily. And I was like, well, I'm going to go buy a bunch of big mobile home parks. And he's like, well, maybe we should do it together. And I'm like, maybe we should. And so yeah. now we you know, bought a thousand units in the last year. And I wouldn't have done that without Brian and without being here in Hawaii, I don't think so. Yeah, for that reason, it's just, it's it's been fun for that. Now, Josh Dorkin moved out there too, didn't he? Did, or at least he is uh, He is here for the winter. He bought a house and he's here for a while, you know, trying to escape COVID drama on the mainland. It's, it's not like, I would say it's better here. It's better here than almost anywhere else in that, we still wear masks and stuff, but it's been like you have to take a test to get here and you have to prove you don't have COVID to get here. And so like it's a little bit more. It's like an island. Weird. Do you have to quarantine once you get there from out you of town? You used to have to. Now you can avoid that if you take the test ahead of time. If you can prove you don't have it within 72 hours of getting here. I would, I, I think they're going to probably revert on that pretty soon, though, because the numbers are ticking up and they're going to probably go back to no test. Just you can't come here unless you... And that test is no fun. Yeah, that's what oh, I hear. I hear it's pretty it, rough. It hurts. They stick that thing way up there in your nose and... yeah. However, there is a test. I don't understand. I don't. I don't understand this world of testing. But like my partner Ryan, another business partner of mine, Ryan in Open Door Capital, he lives here. He's one of my like tenants, I guess. He like my house hack here. And uh, Ryan flies all the time. And every time he just he takes a test. They they ship him it in the mail overnight. Ship it in the test. He has to get on a Zoom call with a doctor. Like they have a special doctor. He takes it and that one. All you do is you you spit in a little tube, put it in there, mail it, and then twenty four hours later they get it and their test results are back. It's crazy. So why are we doing a nose thing if you can do the spit thing and it still is okay? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it. So I took my daughter. Yeah. Um, to watch me take the test because I we thought she was sick. She's totally afraid of needles and anything, right? And so I thought, well, she'll just watch me do it. It'll be fine, you know, and then she'll be say, then she'll say, oh, I can do that. But they pull out this Q-tip that's about five feet long and then they stick it up your nose. And I'm trying so hard to just act normal. Yeah. But I start squirming like a little girl. Like, ah! And I was so, I just wanted to pull her hand away and it felt like five minutes. And my poor daughter, I look at, she's nine. I yeah. look over at her and she's almost in tears like, no, daddy, no. So that did not work. Don't take your little kids yeah. with you when you get your COVID test. Yeah, no, I got to figure out a, a better way to take a test because, yeah, that sounds miserable. I did go to the doctor last week. I went to an ear, nose, throat specialist for something else. Like they're trying to like figure out allergy stuff. And they're like, well, let's look inside your nose. And he takes out this like scope thing. And he's like, we're just going to put it up. So, like they put it up there and it was like tickling my like my belly button on the inside. Like that's how far I think he was going up and in. It was terrible. And I was like, now I know what the COVID test is like. Well, yeah. okay, enough of that. Enough of that. <laughs> Well, I want to also recommend you guys listen to a podcast you just did recently with you and Josh Dorkin were on, and it was just a month or two ago. And you guys replayed one of the sessions that Josh did at your yeah. last event. 
Yeah. That was a really, really good podcast. And it, it, just, just to hear his story and kind of what happened and what he's doing now, it was, I was really, um, it was moving. It was touching. And it made, it was such a good podcast because it's easy to just talk business as business all the time and think about money, money, money. But man, you don't realize, I was moved by it. Like you don't realize how important family is and time and, yeah. you know, the love, being with people that you love until it's gone or almost yep. gone. You know, it was, yeah. how did that inspire you? Yeah. I mean, Josh had always said family above everything. That was always his like motto. It was the number one core value at Bigger Pockets and it was on the wall written family above everything. But that was a good time to see Josh like prove it. You know, Josh is an interesting character. And I say this a lot is that like he is, I mean, he's a genius and he's a genius because a couple of things. I mean, yes, he built Bigger Pockets and, and he does good business stuff. But what was genius about Josh is that he did what nobody does and that's work for 10 years. 100 hours a week to build up a, a business. And that's what it takes sometimes. But at the same time, he also did that knowing as his kids would grow, he could get out of it someday. And that's exactly what he did. So he he like, he did like the, yeah, he built a thing. He yeah. made a machine that just operates without him. And then when he pulled out, nothing changed. I mean, every month, like the month he left, I think we had the biggest month ever. And the month after that was a bigger month after. And like bigger pockets has never slowed down since the day he left. So because he built an engine, he built a machine. And that's what I'm trying to do with my real estate. And I think that's what all of us are doing with our businesses to a degree is, or we should be doing, is trying to think, how do I build this? So I'm not, I'm not the engine. There's an engine and I operate it and nice. I can tweak it if needed. So nice. yeah, that's Josh's genius with building a machine. Well, okay, cool. Let, let's talk about open door capital. You were doing a lot of houses, a lot of house hacking, but also just single family doors. You started getting into bigger deals, multifamily. Burring. <laughs> you were burring. What, what, first, explain why mobile home parks. What got you interested in that? Yeah. I mean, the, sh the short answer is I interviewed a few people on our podcast. And whenever we did, like, did mobile home parks, and whenever I did, I was always like, that sounds so cool. And and does it mean it's the best investment? No. And I always want to tell people like, it doesn't mean mobile home parks are better than anything else. I like a lot of aspects of them. Other uh, aspects I don't like about them. But the most important thing is that I chose it. Like, in other words, the best niche is the one you choose and commit to. And so after, after a few years of me kind of taking it easy, like I was selling a lot of books and doing a few flips here and there. But overall, I was kind of like taking it easy. I moved to Hawaii and I was like, it was good, but I think a lot of happiness and fulfillment comes from growth and I wasn't growing. And so the question was then, how do I grow? So I went to actually Joe Fairless's best ever conference in Denver mm -hmm. and I was surrounded by people who were doing way more than me. And I was like, dang, like these people are like killing it. And I'm just over here like, I just did a house this year, you know? And I was like, I got to do, I got to up my game. Yeah. And so I, I sat there and really thought through, what do I want to do? What, what would be, what would be my thing? What's my niche? What should I choose? And I decided mobile home parks and wow. for, the, the reason I actually got into them is, is funny because it's not actually a good reason at all. I got in because I was like, well, I don't have to deal with contractors. If I own a mobile home park, then the you know tenants own their own houses. So they do their own repairs. No more toilets for me. No toilets if I own mobile home parks. Well, the truth is we deal with a lot of contractors all the time. We're always getting new lots ready and we're remodeling uh, houses when they abandon them. But it doesn't matter why I picked it. The fact is I picked it and so I went all in. And that's just a lesson for everyone listening is like, if you are if you feel like you've been jumping back and forth to different things, you're like, oh, I can do this. I can do wholesaling, lease options, seller financing. I could go into the burr stuff. I could do apartments. Like, it doesn't matter. I can find a multimillionaire in every single solitary niche of that we just talked about and more. It's more important that you decide than what you decide. So I like, I do, I've been doing houses full-time since 2009. Lately, I've been flipping vacant land. And oh, really? I really like it. It's a, and I have two teenage boys, 17 and 15. I, you know, maybe I'm underestimating them, but there's just a level of complexity in negotiating with a seller 
on a house that they've lived in for 30 yeah. years, right? Like, yeah, and there's so every house is so different, but when it comes to land, it's easier, right? It's just cut more cut and paste. And so my boys, I don't know, we flipped 25, 30 vacant land deals. And awesome. uh, now we're starting to sell them on terms, which is pretty cool. You know, yeah. we're getting, we've done two or three in the last few months, uh, 200 to 300 bucks a month. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. And that like, it's a super cool niche. It's not super popular. It's another reason I chose mobile home parks. At the time, they weren't very popular. Today, they have a lower cap rate. They trade at lower cap rates than apartments do. Because it's probably because I talk about them nonstop. <laughs> but like, you just picked it and you're like, hey, this sounds pretty cool. Let's go with it. See, what people oftentimes I think are looking for is they're looking for like this hidden gold on the beach. They got their metal detector out there and they're trying yeah. to find like, yeah. what's my destiny? What am I supposed to do? And in reality, it's like, we're like artists. We're sitting at a paint, a, you know, a blank canvas right now. And you got a paintbrush and it's like, what sounds like, so I would just encourage people to not think like, what's the right thing for me? What's the best investment for me? But like, what sounds cool? What sounds fun? Mobile home park sounded fun to me. R vacant land sounded fun to you. Do it. Then yeah. do it with excellence and you're going to be fine. I think the important thing too is find a strategy and just focus on it. Become yeah. the expert at it. Because isn't it true? What's that saying go? If you if you chase two rabbits, you'll catch neither one of them. Exactly. Something like that. There's such a power of focus, whether it's wholesaling, like you said, or land or mobile homes or big apartments. If you can focus in on that, there's a great book that I recommend everybody. Maybe you've read it. It's called The Pumpkin Plan. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. Mike McKelvin. I actually have his other book right here. Clockwork. One of his other ones. And yes. then uh, uh, well, the other one back there, the... Uh... Profit first. But anyway, all good books. Yeah. Pumpkin but, there's there's, there's such, such the power of finding yeah. one thing, hammering yep. in on that, focusing on it like a laser beam, you know? Yeah. Um, I like to use the analogy of like a bridge. Like if you were like, if you were left on this island right here and there's another island over here and you got to build a bridge there, right? If you build two bridges, you'll build each one half as fast. If you build 10 bridges, you'll each build each one 10% as fast. So if you're trying to just get to financial freedom or millionaire island over here, whatever it is you're trying to get to, or, you know, quit my job, spend time with the family, travel more island, the more bridges you're trying to build, like we just haven't, we have a finite amount of time every day. And so you just can't build more than one or two bridges. I mean, I say one, one bridge, like one business bridge, like you might have your job bridge. You can't necessarily quit that right away, but stop building 12 bridges and just every bridge will get you there. They will all get you there. That's a really stop. good point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just one more analogy yeah. is the, is the sun, right? I mean, the, how many gajillion joules of energy does the sun yeah. shine down on us? But if you get a little magnifying glass and yep. you focus that energy, you can start a fire. And they say there's more, I forget the stat. Somebody would know it. Who's listening to this. There's more powerful energy in a one bolt of lightning in that one millisecond that it hits than yeah. almost all the energy from the sun. Maybe that's not right, but it sounds good. It's not like that. It's, it's huge. Yeah. I, when I was a kid, I was like, I, I still wonder this, but I used to think like when I, like, why are we not harnessing the power of a lightning bolt to like power all of our cities? I was like, that doesn't seem like an impossible task. Like you can put up a lightning rod. Yeah. Why can't you just take that energy and like power the city every time it lightnings? I don't know. <laughs> is that a verb? Lightnings? We're gonna make all it right. Work. Okay. So um, people are typing in some questions here. This is really good. Guys, if you're watching this live right now on the Facebooks or YouTubes, type in your questions because this is your chance to get to ask Brandon whatever you want. And as long as that's appropriate, I will put it up here on the screen. Even if it's inappropriate, I will answer it. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about, while people are typing in their questions, I want to talk about your website. Everybody needs to go here right now. odcfund.com, Open Door Capital uh, is your fund that you created. I wanted to ask you, Brandon, why did you create a fund? Yeah. And, and what was the process of that? Yeah. So we knew we wanted to go big, right? We wanted to buy big stuff, big mobile home parks. That's what I decided on. I read a book called Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold. It's an awesome book. It's all about defining like, what is that three to five year vision? 
painting it very clearly. It goes back to the analogy of the, you know, you're a paint, you're an artist at a blank canvas. So I painted a very clear vision of what I wanted. And it was a thousand units, $50 million of real estate in three years. And I even spec'd out like, I mean, it's like a newspaper article. It's on my wall over there. I get it, but it's too much of a hassle to pull down. But it's like a newspaper article about like my company three years in the future. It's kind of oh. fun to read. It's all about like what we do, like how we grow, what we own. So that we had the vision. So we always start, we start with vision. I would actually say we start with identity, actually. It's like you start with identity as I am uh, an, a, a top real estate investor. I'm an investor who does big stuff. So now I have the identity. Then I move to vision. And I'm like, this is the vision is I am going to build this $50 million real estate business in the next three years. Then we from there, we move to like, what does that look like? And we're like, all right, well, we got to make a plan then. I guess we need to buy the mobile home parks. Average price, let's call it three, four, $5 million for a property. So we need to syndicate. We, I, don't, I don't have the money for that, right? So I got to syndicate. I got to raise money from other investors to put the money together. But I thought to get to $50 million, I'd have to put together an average purchase price of like 3 million, 4 million. I'm like that's a lot of syndications to put together in every year. Like that's like 10 of them every year or eight of them just to try to, and I'm like, that's just a lot of work, a lot of paperwork. So I, instead we say, well, let's just do a fund. And so we launched a fund and it was like a $5 million fund and we raised 5 million bucks. And we, it was like four, 4.5 and we bought real estate within. It was like, that was cool. And we did that in the first like three months. And we're like, well, let's do another one. So we then the next one we raised like 10. Well, and now it was we, and uh, how did you learn to do that? What, what What's involved with creating a fund? Yeah, I had no idea how to do that. I talked to some people who were doing them, like going to the, that event, like the Joe Fairless event. That was a good help. Talking to people on the podcast was a, a help. I read Joe Fairless's syndication book. That was a big help. Yeah, okay. Um, the fun thing was a little bit different, of course. But it's one of those, you just figure it out by doing it. Like you just really? kind of like, by asking the question, okay, well, what comes next? All right, well, what comes next? I don't know what comes next. And you get the right people. It's like that who, not how thing. Like yeah. rather than saying, how do I start a fund? It's who's going to start a fund. So, so did you partner with somebody that's uh, done it before? Not really. I mean, we partnered with, I partnered with Brian, like I said, Brian Murray brought him in. He had never done his own fund or his own syndications, but he had been a KP on other people. So he had a little bit, a key principle, it means he's signing on the loan docs for a piece of the deal. So he's been he's been involved before. And then Ryan Murdoch, who helped kind of lead the charge the for whole first year, he was kind of running everything. He had never done a syndication either, but we found a syndication attorney, just asked for a bunch of recommendations, found a great syndication attorney. And it was really like, it's, it's there's this quote that I say a lot, or this, this saying, and it says that nothing is hard. It's just steps that are undefined or unpracticed. In other words, like like anything, like you could go and build a nuclear bomb. It's not hard. It's just you don't know what the steps are. Yeah. You don't know what you don't know what the steps are and you don't know you haven't practiced it enough. So otherwise it's easy, right? Like you and I, like you right now, you would probably not say it's super hard to go and find a piece of vacant land. But if I was gonna do it, it'd be super hard because I don't even know the first steps. Mm -hmm. So in other words, like we find an attorney who just does that for a living and it's super easy for her. And now today when I'm thinking about setting up a fund, I'm like, man, funds are super easy. Like they're not complicated at all. Yet it's scary when you haven't practiced it and you haven't done it. So there are things to be aware of, of course. But anyway, so we launched, uh, we're now on our third fund. Excellent. So it's fun to have a fund. <laughs> Talk about your first mobile home park that you buy. Did you, did you buy it on your own or did you partner with somebody with experience? Yeah, in that? yeah, the first one was before the fund. So the first one was, it was actually before even the whole syndication with the Joe Fairless thing and the whole vi vision. It was just, I bought a mobile home park because I thought it'd be fun to have one. Uh, and so Ryan Murdoch, who's my partner today, Ryan actually found, he knew the seller of and that's how we became friends, actually. I didn't know Ryan before that, but Ryan brought me a mobile home park and said, hey, 
I found a mobile home park for sale in my area. My buddy of mine's selling it. I'm sure you don't want it, but I thought I'd give it to you anyway. Just show it to you anyway. And I looked at it and I was like, this is exactly what I want. It had everything lined up, like 50 units. It had city sewer and water. Uh, it was mostly tenant-owned homes, which is what I wanted. And I had a, a great property manager in the area because Ryan uh, knew, like Ryan was going to manage it and or and work with a local property manager. So I had everything I wanted. So we bought it. I actually partnered with him and with uh, Mindy Jensen from Bigger Pockets. She's a community manager and host of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. So Mindy and Carl, her husband. Ryan and I, we all partnered together. We bought it and we're actually in, I don't know if this is public, but we're in process of selling it right now, actually, for wow. significantly more than what we bought it for. Good for uh, you. Two years later. So it's going to be a stupid good return. So nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. And so you, you, you got hooked, you got the yeah. uh, mobile home bug, and you thought we need to buy more, but yeah. we need to raise some money to do that. Talk about some of the issues just briefly about, you know, why can't you just go out there and ask people for money? Why, why do you have to set up? fancy structures for that, you know? Yeah, because we live in a fascist government. I'm just kidding. No, uh, because the government wants to protect people like grandma from being able to take advantage of and getting putting all our money with somebody. So the government sets up these rules and guidelines on what you can say and do and attract money and not attract money. There are two primarily types of funds. There's a 506B and a 506C. Don't worry too much about that, everybody. But it's basically like the main two most common types. And the B, I hope I'm saying this correctly, the B is the one that you can't advertise. You can't go and just put that on your Instagram. Hey, I'm raising money for a fund. The C, which is what I have, I can. So I can talk about it on a, on a podcast or on a video. I can do whatever. I can talk about it how much I want. However, because I can talk about it, because I have the superpower of being able to talk about it, I can only take money from people who are rich. I can't take money from grandma. Unlike the people who don't advertise, they can take money from grandma. Uh, and there's guidelines and stipulations and all this, but that's basically the, the the overall gist of it. So we decided because of... Now, most people choose B that I know. Most people I know choose a 506B because they need to take that money from non-accredited people, which is the non-rich people. But because of my unique position as the host of the Bigger Pockets podcast and doing the webinars and doing calls like this, I knew I needed to be able to talk about it. I couldn't just not talk about my fun for years. That'd be ridiculous. So yeah. Yeah. So we set up a 506 and then we're raising a bunch of money all the time. Has it been easier to get money from accredited investors than you thought it would be? Or has it been harder? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I tried to raise money for a single deal back like four years ago. And I talked to two of my buddies who were both pretty wealthy and they shot me down. And I was like, oh, and it hurt my soul. You know, I was like, oh, I'm such a loser. Like nobody likes me. And then like, like, I really like had these like really like my head was telling me like, you're just terrible at raising money. And I was like, I'm terrible at raising money. I'm never going to raise money. I, I, that's not something I'm do doing. I'm not good at it. I don't like it. Well, it turns out my two buddies just didn't have the money at the time, which I find out like they just weren't well off at the time as I thought they were necessarily. So it's like, so then when I jumped back into it, I had a lot of fear around that. Like it was scary. Like, oh, I'm going to want to do this. But no, we've, we, yeah, we maxed out fund one. We filled up fund two. And now fund three, we're, I think we're at, I don't know, seven or $8 million raised out of the 15 we're trying to raise. And it's only been a, like a month and like, we have really no timeline on closing it. Like the, So anyway, it's been easier than I thought. And I'm not saying like everybody in the world is going to be easy. Like I obviously have a big network and I talk about real estate all the time and we have a growing email list. And I, I invest heavily in Instagram, not like financially. I don't put my money with Facebook and on you know, stocks, but I invest heavily my time in Instagram because mm -hmm. I believe that like you need a plat, like platforms like that, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, whatever, like you need a way to like build trust and credibility at scale with people. I think it's helpful anyway. So Instagram is a great way. In fact, most of our investors come from my Instagram, which is weird because you think of Instagram, but most of my investors come from Instagram because uh, that is 
my channel. And obviously, they hear about me other places, maybe the podcast, or whatever. But the, Instagram is where I do my call to action. Uh, if Gary Vaynerchuk jab jab right hook, the whole yeah, yeah. methodology. Yeah, the whole book about like you give, 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 give. And then when you need something, you land that right hook. You know, like you give, 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 and then you take hard when you need something. And that sounds bad, take hard. But it just means like, like most businesses are like, take, 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 you know, like buy our product, buy our product, buy our product. It's just like always just trying to ask for stuff. Instead, I, so I try to give, 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 give. And then once in a while, and it's like, hey, I need to raise $15 million. I ask and I ask very hard. So I'll, I'll make big pushes for it and, you know, go well, for it. I was just going to ask you, what would you advise to beginners who want to get into that? And and I think you nailed it right on the head. Pick a platform and become the expert at that, right? Yeah. And just yeah, give, like give TikTok it a TikTok right now, TikTok, there's so much opportunity there. I'm not there yet uh, much anyway, but like, I think there's tremendous opportunity in things like TikTok right now. Um, like I know people who just started their platform, you know, like their site two two months ago and it, they had half a million followers. And so like, I mean, I know some investors who got on Instagram early and they got over a million followers today. And I'm like, dang, I wish I would have started that earlier. At the time, like everyone's like, well, why would you go to Instagram? It's full of 13-year-old girls. It's the same thing they're saying about TikTok right now. Why would you go to TikTok? There's a bunch of 13-year-old girls and dancing boys and like, like who cares? But if that's the, the way the world is working, it's probably good to be there. Nice. All right. So um, what, just a couple more questions here about your fund. Do you raise the money first and then go find a deal or do you find the deal first and then raise the money? Kind of both. We do like we've been at the same, like we will raise heavier when we have a deal in the pipeline. So, and we will slow down the raise. I mean, I don't talk about it as much. I don't I do the webinars, any of that stuff when we don't have a deal. So right now we're actually closing on a park like next week and we have just enough money right now to close on it. And so I don't have any like strong, like I'm not out there like gotta go raise another 5 million because I don't really want to pay interest and, and dilute the fund if we don't have the parts to bring it in. So uh, when we get something new under contract, which we're very good about getting them pretty regularly under contract. I think we've gotten eight now or eight or nine in the last year. So it happens every month or two, we'll get another one. And uh, nice. yeah, so then we'll, we'll go into hardcore money raising mode again. So when you're raising money, are you raising money for the, for the down payment on the financing or are you trying right. to pay cash for them? Uh, generally the down payment on the financing. I do love the idea of buying them though in cash because it's just, you can get better deals. Uh, and we've only done that once so far. But yeah, generally we're looking at 35% down usually is what they want mobile home parks, 35 to 40. Sometimes we've been as lucky as 20. Some we've gotten up to 40 or 50% down. Nice. Um, but typically we're in like the 30 to 35% range. So we raise that. We raise the money needed for reserves, for maintenance, CapEx, all that, you know, saving for big items in the future and then uh, closing costs. Yeah. And then I, I put money in every one of my own funds because I just, yeah. I, I like, you know, to tell my investors that, hey, I've like, I got skin in the game. And I, I, and then I, whenever we make money, like we make money in fees. This is an interesting thing. A lot of syndicators do syndication because they make fees. And that's how they put money on the table. That's how they pay their bills. Uh, my goal is to never make money from fees. Now we charge fees, but I don't want to personally make any because I want to be able to look to my investors and say, the only way I make money in this business is if this thing succeeds, right? So in other words, what I do is when we make money, we hire more employees and then I pay the employees out of the fees so that they're getting it, not me. So now we've got five people working at Open Door Capital, which means we can grow faster. And so it comes around back. You still get it back, but... I still go get it someday, yes. but I'm not getting it yet. And that's fine. You're, you're I avoiding some of the uh, criticism that somebody with the initials of... Uh, we won't mention his name, but his initials are Grant Cardone. <laughs> There's a lot of fees. It's, it's actually kind of shocking how much money can be made off things like fees. Because when you're, when you're buying 100, 200, $300 million deals and you're taking a 1% or 2% fee, you're talking millions of dollars in fees. Uh, and what's fascinating, this is one of the downsides of mobile home parks. Average mobile home park deal for us is like 3 million bucks. The average apartment deal that people do is let's call it 15 or 20 million. Guess which requires more work to, to buy? 
The mobile home park, by far more work uh, than our apartments. Yeah, because the financing is way more difficult. There's way fewer of them. The mom and pops are way more like they don't want, they don't have their finances together. It is way more work for us to buy mobile home parks than it is for the average person to buy apartment complexes. That's yet that's our fees are way like we get way less money for it. So it is it is what it is, and we we chose this niche. In other words, like to buy a twenty million dollar apartment or a five million dollar apartment, which is easier, they're probably about the same. Like yeah. Twenty. 20 might even be easier because you're going to get better financing from the big government entities that are financing. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. All right. One, one more question about mobile homes. Um, sure. Who's uh, running the operations? So do you have an in-house team? Do you outsource that? Yeah, we have it in-house sort of. Uh, it's kind of a hybrid system. So we are set up. So I have a guy named Walker who's in charge of the acquisitions. Walker's kind of my integrator. If you use like traction terminology, like he runs a lot of the business business. Uh, Ryan's really on like due diligence. In fact, right now he's in Alaska, zero degrees and four hours of sunlight or something like that. He's at the park that we're buying there. And then we've got an investor relations guy, but then running the parks afterwards is, is part of the asset management role, which is Brian Murray. So Brian's my partner we brought in for asset management, but he has his own property management company. Okay. Uh, it's called Washington Street Properties. So right now, Brian's team, he's the asset manager, but he also he hired himself basically in his own company to manage our properties. That said, we are going to eventually take that in-house ourselves because it just makes more sense because then someday we can sell off our billion-dollar portfolio to a hedge fund with management intact in-house. And I think we'll get a better uh, price for it down nice. the road. Not that we'll, that's necessarily the plan, but it sounds like a pretty good plan, right? So, <laughs> Sounds we'll good to me. Sounds good to me. So uh, guys, go go check out the site here. Um, ODC, Open Door Capital, fund.com. Get some real cool information on what Brandon's doing, how he's got it set up. And I'd encourage you to look at this thing and, and look at ways like, man, how can I model that? How can I do something cool like that? Don't, don't look at this because these are big deals. We're talking millions of dollars. Don't think that that's out of reach. Yeah, it's it's really easy to fall into that trap, isn't it? Like thinking, oh, I could never do that. That's way out of my league. But what's funny is like I'm not doing anything different than I was doing five years ago, yeah. ten years ago. It's just like I added some zeros. My, my buddy Darren Sager always says, "Don't be afraid of zeros." It's like yeah. real estate doesn't get that much more complicated when you go bigger. So if you fought like, yeah, I encourage people join my list, even if you're not accredited. Just join the list. See how we communicate. See how we send out letters. Not that we're perfect at it, but if you can pick up one or two things, it's a, a free education. So mm. learn what you can, apply it to your life, discard what doesn't work for you, and yeah, just keep growing. And can get on Brandon's list, watch his webinars, see how he raises the money. Yep. Um, and yeah, bring totally him some deals. That, yeah. Bring him some deals. Bring me some deals. I could use some mobile home parks. That's a great way. I mean, that's and we you talk about this a lot on bigger pockets. Like if you want to learn the business, find somebody that's doing it. Don't just ask them, can I pick your brain over coffee? Yeah. No. Come to them with deals, with leads, and yeah. uh and, and come to them with an attitude of how can I help you grow your business and make more money? That's and that, then, so if you, if you, if you can help Brandon raise some money, if you can help Brandon find some mobile home perks, I bet you he'll let he'll teach you a little bit about how he does the business. That we will. That right. I will. I, I asked some, I asked everybody here if you had any questions for Brandon before uh, we leave here and, and somebody has this, where to go? Oh yeah. Where do, where do babies uh, come from? They, they come from uh, these like birds that bring them over and they drop them. It's, Pretty fancy, right, actually. Right, they actually right. have these three D printers right now. I actually bought one for my daughter for Christmas, and then I got a letter today saying or email it's not going to be here before Christmas. But I bought this little like kid three D printer that like you, they can make their own toys, which is super cool. Really? Anyway, yeah, it's it's it looks really cool. I hope it lives up to the hype of their video and stuff on their website. So <laughs> somebody has a question here: How much skin in the game? We talked about this a little bit ago. A minute. Uh, should an individual have in a deal? I guess in general, 
or 10%, 20% when raising money from others? That's a good question. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I'd ever give it a percentage because like, for example, if I'm raising a $15 million fund, I'm putting in like a hundred grand. So like my percentage is like, what's that? Not even a percent. Like, it's, I mean, it's not whatever. It's tiny, right? It's tiny, tiny, but it's enough that like investors yeah. will know the whole point of skin in the game is to make sure that people know that you have something to lose. So I don't want to lose a hundred grand. That would, that would be terrible. So I'm going to do everything in my power not to. I don't need to put in $3 million to be afraid of losing money. If I was doing a deal, like I was doing a single family house for a hundred grand and I was going to borrow the money, how much money do you got to have in? I mean, you don't need to do a hundred grand. If you did 10 grand, would that scare you not to lose that money? I think so. So in that case, but if you had an amazing deal, you don't have to put any skin in the game. If you really have an incredible deal, skin in the game is helpful, but it's not the whole picture. It's, it's actually a small piece. I'd look at somebody's character and experience and their business plan far more than skin in the game in terms of uh, whether or not I would fund them or partner with them. Yep. Very good. Good point. Al has a question here. It's always been said that you don't need good credit score to get funding to invest in a property. I come to find out that it is not true. So could you clarify this for me? Sure. Depends. If you're trying to get a bank loan, if you're trying to go to a bank, you would need a good credit score, at least above 625 probably to be able to get a loan. That said, there is a hundred and one ways to invest in real estate without using a bank. And all of those are generally okay in not having a high credit score. Uh, my favorite being a partnership. Example, a couple of years ago, it was like 10, 10 years ago now, there was a triplex, an awesome three-unit property, three separate houses on one lot. I loved it, fell in love with it from the moment I saw it. I was like, that has to be my property. Uh, small problem, I had no job, no credit, no income, no nothing at the time. I mean, this is like early and early, early in my investing career. So I just found like this guy from my church, this guy and his wife, and we were just talking about real estate and I knew they were like, they thought it was cool. So I said, hey, why don't you guys just help me get the loan? You guys bring the down payment. So they actually used the line of credit to bring a $30,000 down payment. I managed the property. I found the deal. I put it together. To this day, we still in, we manage it in-house today and they get half the profits and I get half the profits. And I, have, I don't have my name on anything. Like my name's not even on the loan. My name's on the property. That's on the title, but it's not on the loan at all. So there are ways around it. Seller financing is another way. There's lease options in another way. There's wholesaling. You don't have to worry about credit scores. Hard money lenders rarely look at credit scores, or they may. Yeah, there's lots of ways to do it. So, and here's the thing. If you can get good at finding deals, yep. it's easy, right? Yeah, good deals solve a lot of problems. I've always said we're not in the real estate business. We're in the marketing business. Yeah, they, I 100% agree. And if you learn how to do marketing, you can get leads. You can find the deals. Money's yep. easy. One of my coaches, Steve Cook, I don't know if you know that yep. name. I love him. Yeah. From Life and Air. Yep. Um, love he, Life and Air changed my life. That oh, book. Yeah. That's actually probably more the reason why I'm in Hawaii than anything else. Really? A lifestyle. Like I was like, I want to live in Hawaii. That's a lifestyle I want. Nice. Anyway, keep going. The whole concept is find a, create a vision for your life first yep. and then build a business around that. We could talk for an hour about that. It's, it's uh, so, I could talk ever about Life and Air. Yeah. yeah. Changed my life. So Steve and I, we've known each other for a long, long time. But anyway, uh, he had a course called Debt-Free Investing. And this is one of the things I learned from him mm -hmm. where I'm not saying debt is bad. I'm not going down that argument or not. But like, if you can find good deals, you can find an investor and you believe in like 100% no debt, right? Yep. You can still get, you can still do deals. And you can, if you got a good enough deal, you can find an investor to partner with. Yep. So if you want more information about all that, I think if you just Google Debt-Free Investing, Steve Cook, Life and Era, that kind of stuff, you'll, you'll find that. I got another question here. Is that okay, Brandon? Sure. Yeah, I'm good. Um, you got nothing else to do in Hawaii. Nothing else. Weather's miserable out there. All right. This is from Sergio. When is a Burr strategy appropriate? That's buy, renovate, rent, refinance, refinance, repeat. Thank yep. you. <laughs> when is a Burr appropriate to apply if it's really slow 
to do compared to wholesaling seller financing subject too. So when I'm completing one bird, it's maybe the equivalent yeah. to a total of 10 wholesaling deals. You understand the question, what he's asking there? Yeah. Yeah. So burr investing does take time. It takes typically six to 12 months to complete one burr cycle. You know, you buy a property, you fix it up. That takes a few months. Then after six months, you can go to a local bank or any bank and you get a refinance on it. And then you get your money back and you go do it again. Burr is a great strategy when, when for example, so seller financing, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would guess less than 5% of all houses out there even have the ability to do seller financing without getting into the subject two. Now you can do subject two, but 95% of people aren't gonna wanna do subject two. Wholesaling is a great way to make quick money, but you pay half the money to the government and then you're broke afterwards because you buy a car, right? So like the wholesaling is just a job. Nothing wrong with it, it's just a job. It's not investing long-term. So Burr is investing when you can't do a subject. If I, I'd, do a, I'd do a seller financing all day if I could. Um, that said, most seller financing, again, it's really hard to find. The number of deals are very fine. So are hard to find. And the ones you do find, a lot of times the sellers want a big down payment. And if you have to do repairs, where's the money coming from the, for the repairs? So example, you find a $100,000 property and the seller's like, yeah, I'll carry the contract on it. I'll do seller financing, no problem. I just want 10,000 down. Okay, fine, 10,000 down. But the house also needs $30,000 of work. Okay, now you got 30,000. Now you got $40,000 in the deal. You're like, Man, I just spent 40 grand on this deal. But the burst strategy, you could have bought that house for, you know, the 100 grand, put in the 30 or the 30 grand needed to fix it up or whatever it was, right? And then the thing appraises way higher. Let's say it appraises for 200 grand. You go to a bank, you refinance it, you get all your money back that you put into it or your partner's money or your lender's money, your hard money lenders, whatever you use to buy it. You get all your money back and now you have no money into a deal that is a cash flowing 30 year fixed mortgage rental property and you go do it again and again and again. And the cool thing about the burst strategy is it scales with like, it's the same thing. You can do it with a, a million dollar property, a $10 million property, a hundred million dollar property. Mm -hmm. So it's really good for what I call the stack, which is where you like exponentially grow your portfolio. Single family, duplex, fourplex, 10 unit, 20 unit, 50 unit. Yeah. And it, you can you can burr all the way up there. And I don't know why you can't do both. I mean, if you're in the business of marketing and you're finding deals, mm -hmm. cherry pick the best ones, yep. do a burr strategy on them and wholesale the rest, right? It's exactly. Yeah, that's why I like them. Finance strategies. I call in the book on investing with no and low money down. I say that it's like tools in a tool belt. Like the, if you all you have is a hammer, then all you can do is pound a nail in the wall. If you have a hammer and a screw, gun, you can now unscrew and screw and screw. It's great. Now you can also hit and screw. If you've got a forklift and a jackhammer and a saw and a, you've got all the tools, you can build a house. You can build a skyscraper, right? The more tools you have in your mental toolbox, the more projects you can tackle. So it's not so much as should I do burr or wholesaling or subject to, it's let me get a little bit of all of these so I can find the right tool for the right job as That's it comes good. up. Good. And surround yourself with like-minded people who are passionate about real estate like you are. Yeah. At biggerpockets.com. There you go. Okay. So we got to wrap this up, Brandon. It's been fun talking to you. What uh, What do you got in the future? What's on the horizon for you guys? For you specifically and, and at Bigger Pockets? Yeah. For me specifically, more bubble home parks, more time off. Really going to make 2021 the year of like less, less stuff, more surfing, more... Uh, Good for you. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, bigger pockets wise, we make a shift recently to our podcast. We doubled up. We're now doing two podcasts a week, one of them real estate related, and one of them is going to be personal development related. So we're bringing in authors and speakers. Like we just brought in, uh, uh, we just had Greg McKeon, I think is how you say his last name, Essentialism, the author of Essentialism. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's hosting right. a podcast with you guys? Yeah, like not hosting, no, but he, he's one of our guests. We're okay. guests 
interviewing all these people. That'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. yeah so uh, we got a, a couple other, you know, we had Matthew McConaughey on a couple other people like that, that we're trying to get more of like the fuel that fuels your success is not like, how do I buy a duplex? That's important tactical knowledge. But the real question is, when you said you were going to wake up at 6am, why didn't you wake up at 6am? When you said you were going to go and analyze a deal, you didn't analyze a deal. Why not? It's the stuff between our two ears that matters, like that we really are failing. At, and, and we succeed and fail based on those things, those principles. And so that's what we're going to be teaching a lot more of. in the Oh, future. good. I, I'm looking forward to that. Looking yeah. forward to that. All right. So, um, you know, if people want to get a hold of you, Open Door Capital Fund. Um, yeah, ODCfund.com is the fun stuff. And then Beardy Brandon on Instagram. I'm like a 13-year-old girl there. I'm going to write that in here. Yeah, is Beardy it at Beardy, Beardy Brandon. Brandon? Is that it right there? That's it. Beardy Brandon. You can follow me on Instagram. Yeah. Good. And guys, when you go follow Brandon, watch what he's doing. You know, he's having some fun there, but there's very good intense intentions behind Even like the dude. Check out the post I just did. Uh, I, I did a, a post yesterday and I'm in the middle of a jujitsu wrestling session. And then I took a pen and I signed the final page of my uh, purchase doc or like the actual closing documents for this big park we're buying while doing it. And it's a fu funny, humorous post, but just a little inside for everyone. Like, why, why do I do stuff like that? It's because I know that this is marketing, right? So like, it would be a funny post. It's something people don't expect. It's me wrestling, signing a legal document, right? And so then everyone clicks like on it, which then shows it to more and more people on Instagram. More and more people see it, then more people like it, more people share it. And then within that description, I talk about how, hey, shameless plug, if you're an you know, accredited investor, come talk to us. So it's that's that kind of jab, 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 right hook stuff a little bit where it's like it's giving value, making people laugh, but then you can you can take a little bit in there too. So you've the mentioned that book a couple of times. If you're all curious, yeah. go to Amazon, look up Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. Gary V and Jab Jab Hook. Is jab, that jab, jab, right hook. I think it is. Yes. Good little book. Maybe four, two. I don't know. Anyway, lots of jabs. But Gary V is a workhorse. So don't uh, yeah. don't work as hard as he does. Yeah, don't do that. You don't need to work as hard as he does. Yeah, uh, no a lot of people are saying, you know, here, thank you so much. We appreciate you guys. And so thanks guys for being here. Thank you, Brandon, for being on the podcast. Honored sure. to have you here. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work and we'll see you all later. Okay. Thanks, Bye everybody. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon.